you, uh, the way I read this statute is it, there's a duty on the manufacturer to make it right. And you don't really have a cause of action if they do everything they're supposed to do. So you can't even go to court if, they're, if they've done exactly to the letter what they're obligated to do. Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a personal injury and long-term disability law firm with headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia. Listening to oral arguments is one of the best ways to both learn and stay abreast of the substantive and procedural aspects of practicing law in Virginia. By putting these public domain recordings into the form of a podcast, Ben Glass Law has made it easy for the public to access these recordings. All commentary that is not part of the actual court proceedings is that of the show's sponsor. This is Ben Glass, and welcome back to Episode 2 of Season 2 of the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This is a case that you'd be interested in if you're interested in lemon law. Here the plaintiff bought a car that he was unsatisfied with and hired a lawyer to pursue a lemon law claim. Hyundai did what it was supposed to do according to these arguments and essentially bought the car back. The only thing left in dispute was whether Hyundai owed any money for attorney fees. The plaintiff filed suit only for the attorney fees. And the issue in the case is whether or not you can file a suit for attorney fees if the car manufacturer has done everything that it is already required to do under the Lemon Law Act. I think you'll find this one interesting, and I think you can see which way the court is going to go just by the questions. Ranger versus Hyundai Motor America, Aaron Cluett, Appellant's Counsel, Robert L. Wise, Appellee's Counsel. Good morning. Morning. May it please the court. My name is Aaron Cluett, and I represent the appellate Nicholas David Ranger. <clears throat> this case is about the dismissal of a lemon law claim involving a defective Hyundai. The vehicle was out of service for about 48 days. As a result, the plaintiff retained a law firm, my firm. We filed a pre-litigation claim. There were some negotiations with the other side. There were offers exchanged, but the plaintiff declined. We were getting close to the statute of limitation and the lawsuit was filed. Before the lawsuit was filed, was there a full cure under 207.13? Hyundai takes the position that it was a full cure. However, they did not provide the full payment of pre-litigation fees and costs. So that, that goes to a separate question, but 207.13 is not, as, as well as anyone, it's not a warranty or a UCC claim, it's a cure claim. It provides a new remedy, which is if there's a warranty assertion and you bring it back after a certain number of days, the manufacturer has a duty to pay the repayment price back, the payment price back, and to pay incidentals and collateral damages. So that's, yes, that's the true. duty. Now, the court has put in its statement of facts that exact offer was given without any conditions. The only condition you're suggesting is they didn't want to pay your attorney's fees pre-litigation. So how does any of this square with 207.14, which is you have a right to recover attorney's fees if an action is filed for violating a provision of this chapter? The well, only provision we're talking about is 207.13, and they didn't violate that. It, the, the provision states that any consumer that suffers a loss may file a 
lawsuit. We file a civil action under the Act. So well, but the question is, what are you entitled in the civil action? And it seems to me the statute says you're entitled to what you concede was the full cure and cost incurred in filing the action. What cost, if I offer you the full cure before you file, so did I, how did that cause the cost incurred by filing the action? Because you'd already been offered everything that you could get. As far as the pre-litigation offer, it did not cover the full fees and costs that the okay. consumer so had. So pin that down. Identify with me what those fees and costs were. Per the retainer with the firm, there was a flat rate of $3,000. Okay, so attorney's fees. And pre-litigation costs are Okay, all, so all again, pin those down for me. What are we talking about? Because it's not obvious to me that you get attorney's fees for what you did prior to the suit. So were there, like, repairs? Were there, what are we talking about? As far as what... What is involved in the fees and costs? Or? No, no. You, uh, the way I read this statute is it, there's a duty on the manufacturer to make it right. And you don't really have a cause of action if they do everything they're supposed to do. So you can't even go to court if, they're, if they've done exactly to the letter what they're obligated to do. So they say, we did everything we were supposed to do. So you can even go to court. You say, no, they didn't do everything they were supposed to do, so we could go to court. And I'm trying to pin down, beyond attorney's fees, what some of those costs were. So besides the attorney fees, there are costs in bringing a pre-litigation. They are minimal, of course. Costs are much higher when you well, file. Well, I understand that, but is there any ground of relief that entitles your client to recover his attorney's fees other than 591307.14? There isn't another provision of the code. All right. And it says any consumer who is successful in such action shall recover reasonable attorney's fees, expert witness fees, and court costs incurred by bringing such action. If you haven't brought the action, you don't have any of those costs, do you? If we're looking just at that provision of the code. Okay, so that's, if that provision of the code doesn't entitle doesn't provide you with the attorney's fees that you're seeking, what does? As far as the pre-litigation component? Yeah. It would just be the idea that when a consumer has a vehicle that's in need of repair and the manufacturer has failed to repair it, they go through a claims process. Do you not think the legislature considered that in drafting the statute, sir? It's hard to say exactly what they thought at the time. Is there anything ambiguous or unclear about the statutory language? I wouldn't say there's any anything unclear, but I think really what the bigger issue here is the fact that the trial court granted summary judgment here. It, but you don't, simply, you don't dispute that they did everything except pay the attorney's fees, right? There's no dispute here over did they, the statute allows a reasonable deduction for the use of the imperfect vehicle and things like that. There wasn't any dispute over that. It was just over whether the person got attorney's fees. There was no other dispute at the time. Right. That is correct. But a Am I right that the trial court, by adopting the statement of facts from the summary judgment, said that your initial pleading, your Lemon Law form pleading, was inaccurate factually. It denied that there ever was a cure, and it denied that they did anything they were supposed to do under 207.13. But you knew, of course, that they had. 
They had offered incidentals, they had offered consequentials, they had offered collateral, and they had offered a repayment. So what's going on with that? Because you filed a complaint that said something that appears to be just factually wrong, which is that they, they cured it under 207.13, but you said, no, that never happened. Yeah, and I recognize there might have been some inartful drafting involved in the complaint, but the fact remains that the court, <clears throat> that the trial court granted summary judgment when that simply was not appropriate. What material fact was in that. dispute? Well, all of the facts of the case. In a typical Lemon Law case, there's going to be a dispute over you know, perhaps the sales price. So defendants are known in these type of cases to defend everything. What material facts were in dispute in this case? The car didn't perform as it should. The manufacturer paid for the car. What material fact? is in dispute. Should this case had gone to trial, then the length of time that it was in the shop would have been in dispute. Why does that the matter? Nature of the Why does that matter, the length of time it was in the shop? Because as far as the Lemon Law is concerned, there is a, pre, there is a presumption if a vehicle is... That is defective. Correct. And should be replaced or paid for. Right. But it is simply a presumption. It's not strict liability in terms of on day 31 you automatically win the case. So what defendants do is you know, they might attack the ev evidence as far as how many days the vehicle they was. They might, but by offering the full cure before litigation was filed, haven't they conceded? They've conceded you're entitled to full relief except for attorney's fees is my understanding of your position. I think if I could take the settlement offer and present it to the jury, then they might have conceded the points, but I think it's lo it's logical to assume that had this case survived some summary judgment and gone to trial, they would have fully defend defended it. Is it fair to say that if your client proceeded without counsel, jumped through all of the Lemon Law hoops, received the cure from Hyundai, we would not be here today? If they if the trial court granted summary judgment against them, I would there. there would have been no lawsuit. That would be my assumption. I think it would be fair to say. All right. But I do just want to bring the court's attention back to the fact that yeah, Rule 320 states explicitly that summary judgment shall not be entered if any material fact is genuinely... And that's genuinely what we're wrestling with, and what we're waiting to hear is beyond attorney's fees, which you get if you prevail in a trial, but don't necessarily get for work pre-trial if there's no basis for a lawsuit. What else is out there that's a material issue of fact? So let's say under this statute you're entitled to $30,000 as the cost of the vehicle. And the manufacturer says, yep, you're right, $30,000, as opposed to a lowball offer where they say, we'll take 10 and go away. That would be an issue of fact. They're not offering the full and fair compensation. That doesn't seem to be in play here. That's what I'm struggling with. So I'm with you. The rule says there's a genuine issue of material fact. You cannot grant summary judgment. But is that the case? What is the material issue of fact that would foreclose summary judgment? So if we look at the pleadings, Hyundai did not concede anything as far as Ranger's position on the claim. Ranger's position on the claim by the pleadings is that they didn't offer him anything, and you've conceded that wasn't true. I believe you termed it inartful pleading to plead something that was exactly opposite of the facts as they exist and are 
reflected in the statement of fact. Yeah. And maybe it would have been appropriate for the court to strike that portion of the complaint, which yeah, I do believe does occur from time to time. Can I ask you this? But if you had gotten 100% of the attorney's fees you wanted in the litigation process, they just the lawyer just walked in and said, I can't deal with this anymore. Here's a check. Would you go to trial on anything else? Assuming that not, nothing else as far as an incidental cost or a consequential damage had occurred. I, I'm not asking you to make any assumptions. I'm asking you if you can to answer the question. If they walked into your office and said, this is tail wagging the dog, here's your 3000 bucks. I'm out of here. Would you go to trial on any other issue in this case? No. Okay. So doesn't that answer the question for us? You sued not for a violation of the Lemon Law statute. You sued because you wanted fees for litigation expenses prior to the suit, and the suit can't be authorized for that, according to the very text of the statute. And even if that was true, Your Honor, and far be it to me to say it's not, summary judgment simply was not the right me mechanism for the court to use. Well, we use the expression material facts. It means legally material facts not just disputed facts, that's the genuine issue. But materiality is legally relevant. What was legally relevant about the cure, about the incidentals, or the collateral charges, when 100% of that had been already offered to you in full, without conditions? As far as the material facts are con concerned, if we look at the pleadings, they didn't concede any anything. And as the court is well aware, settlement agreements are not admissible at, tri at tri trial, so nothing had been conceded. They conceded everything. They paid you, your client, the full price, the consequentials, and the incidentals. They conceded everything. You've got us. It was more than 48 days. It was a lemon. I'm un honestly not understanding. Is it your position that the only way summary judgment would have been appropriate is if in their answer they had said, they had admitted that they hadn't cured when they had offered that that wouldn't be the only way but i think that they would have to point out to something from the request for admissions or a stipulation when it got Some, in front of the trial court on the summary judgment motion yes. didn't everybody agree that everything had been conceded except the attorney's fees we were in agreement that yes it had been conceded in terms of settlement negotiations but there was no stipulation, there was no pleading from Hyundai that conceded anything. But in terms of our discussions with them, yes, I, it would be fair to say that they conceded certain points, but there was nothing formal as far as what would be presented at the trial of the case. Under the statute 207.13, they have a duty to offer you a cure. They don't have any duty to open your hand up and jam it into your pocket if you're not going to take it. What more can they do? I would just say what our concern would be, and I don't have much time left, would be that if there is a ruling that a plaintiff would have to accept what a defendant says is a full settlement of the case, that's certainly going to have a chilling effect on the ability of consumers to get these cases resolved. No, none of our questions are implying that at all. If they offer you a full price and you go, that's not the full price, it's really $1,000 more, then you're, there's your genuine issue material fact. They're not offering me the full repurchase price, or they're nicking me on some collateral charge or some incidental damage. My time, may, may I sure. answer? Sure, please okay. answer the question. I would just say that as far as the loss 
suffered by Ranger, we would consider fees and costs to be part of that. Thank you right. very much. Thank you, Council. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a national leader in long-term disability insurance claims. We help doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other C-suite executives get paid for their long-term disability benefits. Visit us at benglasslaw.com or give us a call at 703-591-9829. Good morning, Mr. Chief Justice. Good morning, Associate Justice of the Court. May it please the Court, my name is Rob Wise and represent Hyundai Motor America. The Circuit Court was correct to grant summary judgment in this case for one simple reason. Hyundai complied fully with the Motor Vehicle Warranty Enforcement Act in agreeing to a complete repurchase that Mr. Ranger had demanded, yet declined to accept. It is undisputed on this record that Hyundai's repurchase would have provided Mr. Ranger with everything to which he was entitled under the Act, 59.1-207.13. As a result, there was no violation of the Act, there was nothing to enforce under 207.14, and there was no basis on which to file suit in the first place. As the court appears to glean from the questioning, this case was solely about the pre-suit attorney's fees that Mr. Ranger insists he was entitled to, yet neither today nor in any of the briefing or the lower court has ever identified any basis for recovery or entitlement to those pre-suit attorney's fees. I'd like to address one point that was made by opposing counsel throughout, was casting what happened before suit as a negotiations process or settlement discussions. They were not. The Act sets forth a statutory framework under which a consumer is required to bring the vehicle and any nonconformities to the attention of the manufacturer that sets into place the statutory mechanism of attempting to bring the vehicle into conformity with the express warranty, which would accomplish a cure. And if that cannot be done within the time frame, either before statutory number of repair attempts or days out of service, then to offer at the consumer's election either a replacement vehicle or a full refund. That is the second opportunity for a cure. But if either of those happens by the manufacturer, conformity or the repurchase or refund offer, then there is no violation. That's the predicate requirement for a violation. Here, that process took place, and very early on in the process, Hyundai agreed to a repurchase of this vehicle in fulfillment of the statutory intent of what was to happen is a prompt resolution for the consumer recognizing the interest in a motor vehicle and the hardship that can present. So that is what you took... Do you agree if you had taken one... Do- if you had offered one dollar less, they're entitled to bring the action and recover fees... But it has to be a 100% undisputed full cure. Yes, Your Honor, we would say that. The Act sets forward, 207.13 sets forward the requirements of what needs to be included in there, including various collateral and incidental damages, minus reasonable allowance for use. So if there is a dispute about that, and whether 207.13 was met, then I believe that assuming other statutory predicates were met, then the consumer could file suit. And so even if, let's say there's a dispute over reasonable use fees couple dollars here or there, they bring suit. You prevail at trial on the reasonable use fees. Would he still be entitled to attorney's fees for bringing the action because there wasn't a full cure ahead of time, or or at least there wasn't a binding full decision? not sure in that 
circumstance, Your Honor. A consumer in that case would have prevailed under certain of this court's precedent. It would require what the final resolution established in terms of that. But that's not what we have here. I'm not trying to avoid the question. It is not what we have here. But that's the point of the statute is to set forth in clear terms what a resolution, what a cure looks like, what it is in monetary terms, so that the manufacturer can meet it. Because there are incentives that are embedded in this statute on both sides. And the incentives on the manufacturer's part are, you have a way to get out of this. You have a way to avoid litigation. And you have a way to get out from under the potential cloud of attorney's fees. And that is a prompt resolution of this matter, giving the consumer A, B, C, and D under 207.13. And that is what happened here. And there is no dispute about that. There was nothing in counsel's argument nor in the brief that established any deficiency under the repurchase provision of the act. And so I disagree with the casting of this as settlement negotiations or that it would have any sort of chilling effect on offers, that a defendant could come in and offer anything. And by the mere utterance of an offer, no matter how deficient, that would preclude litigation. That's simply not what we have here. This is a statutory mechanism that played out on Hyundai's part, as it should have. And it should have resolved at that point. And to your Honor's question about if there had not been any attorney involved, the act does not require attorney involvement. And indeed, there are other mechanisms that are available to the consumer, including not retaining an attorney. But there are resources as well. DMV.org sets out resources. The Attorney General's Office discusses resources and describes paths to resolutions. The default American rule is you've got to pay your own fees. And the only time that changes is things like sanctions or a statutory vehicle to award fees. Well, here the statutory vehicle for fees is the manufacturer doesn't comply. You're forced to bring suit. And you prevail. Then you get your fees. Exactly. As opposed to they complied and you happen to have a lawyer to help you move this thing along. Well, but the statute doesn't address pre-litigation fees when the case is satisfactorily resolved. It does not. And I would also add to that that the statute does set out what is required to resolve a case pre-litigation, what monetary elements are required in that. And that is in 207.13. And beyond that, the Act does, to your Honor's point, mention when fees are allowable and does not revert back and discuss anything about pre-suit fees. The way to get fees is to have a valid action that is entitled to be brought for enforcement of a violation. And that's what was missing here. And that's why summary judgment was appropriate. Addressing the more specifics of Mr. Ranger's arguments, as I've discussed, I think, several times, there's nothing expressly providing for attorney's fees here. And that's what's missing. And at no point in any of the briefing below here or in argument has there been any recitation of a source of authority for attorney's fees pre-suit. And it would require, instead, a violation of this Court's tenets of statutory construction to read that in where it does not exist. On Mr. Ranger's point about summary judgment and there being genuine issues of material fact, I think the Court heard that there were no genuine issues of material fact, and the point being material, because everything was already, for purposes of our summary judgment motion, the facts were simply, was a statutorily compliant repurchase offer made? And it was. And there was no dispute about it. And on the point about 207.1 being a mere fee-shifting provision, it is not. That is the vehicle for enforcement. That is the key to get in the door. And if you do not have that key, which is a violation of the Act, you do not get in that door under 207.14. It does discuss fees allowances, but that's only once you're in the door. 
And then under the Chase case, that establishes that you must have a violation in order to, to proceed under 207.14. The final points I would want to raise are simply, I think we've addressed in our brief the points of waiver. I don't want to belabor those points here, but throughout this appeal, there have been many arguments, issues, which have been waived in numerous ways and shapes, including by not developing the arguments with authority. And I would just on the final point mention again that the policy issues here of encouraging the statute to operate as it should and as it did up to a point in this case, which is the manufacturer came forward once evidence was presented. At that point, it's one-sided evidence. It's here's my records. I was out of service. But the manufacturer is incentivized to make a decision in that case about whether it wants to proceed with litigation. And Hyundai did not want to proceed with litigation. It wanted to avoid potential fees. Exactly, Your Honor. And offered the repurchase. A ruling contrary to that would then remove the incentives in that and create all sorts of collateral and transactional costs that are simply not what the act is. I would imagine, too, from Hyundai's point of view, if the German law bar came up to me every day and said, we're going to litigate everything because it's always going to end up being a fee dispute, I'd say, fine, let's litigate everything, including the cure. So no cure, no nothing, see you in court. Yes. That could very well be the negative incentive of this interpretation all to the detriment of the consumer and yeah. the very first provision uh, 207.10 the intent is to bring about prompt relief for the consumer unless there are further questions i yield the remainder of my time thank you all right i believe your time is up thank you all very much the proceeding has been a production of ben glass law a fairfax virginia-based personal injury and long-term disability law firm For a free evaluation of your claim, visit us at benglasslaw.com or call us at 703-591-9829.